When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. The scheduling is, is interesting and you do feel like if Arsenal are going second more weeks than not, then they might potentially be more vulnerable um, because Man City have been there and done it before. Even if they lose to Leeds here, I'd be surprised if he's shown the door before the midweek game. I think if they lose to Leeds and then they're knocked out by Dortmund, I think that's probably time up. Has Todd Bowley hired someone on the back of two victories at the start of the season? I think Southampton will go down. And I think in two or three years, we'll have a look at this Southampton squad that got relegated. And I think quite a few of them will be playing Premier League football or top flight football around Europe and be very good. Maybe there's a likeness to a couple of seasons ago from Liverpool and their top four hopes when they looked like they were going to miss out and then they went on a great run towards the end of the season and actually finished in third at the end. Hello and welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. I'm Dan Bardell and it's time for the Weekend Preview. I'm joined by George Ellick, Bet365 Steve Freeth and Tim Spears as well to look ahead to what's to come this weekend. Can Man City respond after Arsenal moved five points clear at the top? We'll also check in on the relegation battle, including Leeds' visit to Stamford Bridge with the pressure showing no signs of easing on Graham Potter. And is Liverpool's latest resurgence real or can Eric Ten Hag inspire Manchester United to a first win at Anfield since the days of Louis van Gaal? That's all to come here on the Weekend Preview. We'll start then with Manchester City against Newcastle, which is the Saturday lunchtime offering, whilst also having a little look at Arsenal v Bournemouth as well. Basically, that means we're focusing on the title race. So Manchester City, as I say, are up first, 12.30 against Newcastle, currently five points away from Arsenal, so a chance to make up early ground and put the pressure on Arsenal, George. Can they do it? Yeah, I think home to Newcastle is an easier fixture than home to Newcastle was uh, a few weeks ago. You know, we'll talk about Newcastle struggles later on in the show, but there's nothing for, for City to, to be too fearful of about, in my mind, I mean, it's not an easy game for sure. And there's no denying that Arsenal have the easier uh, assignment this weekend. But I think now is quite a good time just to look at the Premier League table because finally Arsenal and Manchester City have played the same amount of games. Both teams have played 25 uh, so far this season. And Arsenal have a five-point lead. They've got 60 points to Manchester City's 55. Now, City's goal difference is better. They're 39 to 33. You would anticipate that if City are to close that gap down, they will probably have the, the you know the benefit or they'll probably usurp Arsenal on that. So it's a five-point gap that they've got to make up, which seems like quite a big gap in my mind with 25 games gone. Not that many games left. But Bet365, you know, the market has Arsenal at 10 to 11, Manchester City at 11 to 10. Now, normally in betting markets, when it's Pickham, the two, you're 10 to 11 each side. So you've basically got a flip of a coin in, in 365's opinion as to whether or not Arsenal are going to win the league this season. And in my mind, that seems, if I was looking at this from a punter's point of view, or I think 
the general public listening to this podcast who, who don't look at it from a betting uh, point of view, it feels more likely that Arsenal win, will win the league than not where I'm sitting right now. You know, any dip in form seems to be done with. They were brilliant against uh, against Everton in midweek. Certain players coming back to form who were previously missing. And a five-point gap at this stage is pretty hard to, to make up. You know, we've seen in recent seasons title races where both teams relentlessly win. And, and if Arsenal can show any kind of the any like of the kind of form they showed earlier this season, then there's nothing really City can do about it. So a big game for City. And you feel like if City drop points in the early kickoff, Arsenal have a home game against one of the poorest sides in the, in the division to make up you know, a nearly unassailable lead over, over the teams behind them. So um, yeah, it feels like a big Saturday. And, and in my mind, at least, a big swing in the last couple of weeks where I would, I'd much rather be a backer than a layer of Arsenal at 10 to 11 to win the league. Steve, do you think scheduling makes a difference? at all the, the fact of playing first so I'm talking like for Arsenal the fact that Man City could be only two points off them or actually even if, if they lose it, it could galvanise them couldn't it do you think the scheduling does make a difference I suppose from a, a playing point of view and a managerial point of view you, you will say the right things they'll just concentrate on ourselves etc but it must it must play on players' minds because these days social media etc you, you all know the results don't you before uh, before it happens the likely lads back in the seventies, where you know they used to go around all day without knowing the football results. Those days are absolutely long gone. But just looking at the fixtures, I mean, George touched upon the the match prices there. We've clearly rated Manchester City a lot higher than Arsenal throughout the season, and and Arsenal for when they've been top, we, we we've written them off. Um, it's just because the match prices have always been strong with Manchester City. The the model just clearly fancies Manchester City more than Arsenal, and I do agree with George in a way that. To the person in the street, five points clear, they'd be surprised that Arsenal are still the betting with Arsenal and Manchester City. They're both still quite close together. Clearly, from a fixture point of view, Dan, as you, as you mentioned, City have played all the top six away from home. And I think Arsenal have a real chance to make hay with the fixtures they have coming up. Their fixtures, of course, we've got this one, they've got guys of Fulham, Palace, and Leeds both at home as well. Their biggest test, of course, as everyone knows, will be Manchester City away from home on the 26th of April. Then they have to face Chelsea, who might have improved by then, followed by Newcastle away and Brighton at home. And then Forest away as well, no doubt, will be, will be tough as well. I flip-flop between what I think. I just think at, at some point Manchester City's experience of being in a title race may have to kick in and, and may, may help them. But at the moment, you know, Arsenal, they look good. They do look like they've come out of that, that little suspect patch that they had. Phil Foden, Tim. Back in the team, Manchester City making full use of, the, of their squad depth in, in attacking areas. I kind of feel like Pep always does this. A player will disappear for for a month. He'll use them sparingly. I feel like it might be a motivational tool. I feel like I sound like David Brent. I feel like it, it might be like a motivational tool. Someone doesn't really <laughs> play a lot time. of football for a not for the first time. Someone doesn't really play a lot of football for a month, and he suddenly just brings brings them back in, and, and they hit form at the, at the right time. So Foden, he's done it. He's done it countless times. He's done it with Sane. He's done it with Sterling last season a little bit. He kind of brings players back in for the cold. And they deliver for him. And do, do you see that happening with Foden now? Yeah, potentially. It certainly looked certainly look that way midweek. And yeah, you're right. We've seen it with Bernardo Silva, Gundogan, Grealish. Uh, I guess he's got the luxury to do that because um, he's got exceptionally other talented players who, who can play instead. You know, he can afford to leave Phil Foden out for a month, which kind of says everything about Man City's squad. Yeah, I agree with with what both guys have said about the title race. The, the, the scheduling is, is interesting and you do feel like if Arsenal are going second more weeks than not, then they might potentially be more vulnerable um, because Man City have been there and done it before. 
I'll tell you what, talking of the title race, one thing I find really frustrating is the fact that we can't really watch much of it at the moment because Arsenal Mm. are in a run of four out of five games that aren't on TV, which I find absolutely insane, really. The amount of football that we get on TV and, you know, for me and, and for a lot of people, this is the most exciting title race in years. And we can't watch it at the moment. So it's just, you know, so Arsenal weren't on against Leicester last week. They weren't on against Everton in midweek. They're not on against Bournemouth this weekend. And then they're not on against Palace in a couple of weeks. So that's, that's four out of five. Um, and for people who pay, you know, a grand a season for subscriptions. And I'm one of those, you know, journalists don't get free, free TV or free subscriptions. You know, um, I just, um, you know, you can't put all this football on TV and then not show us part of the uh, most exciting title race in years. So yeah, bit of a bugbear for me that down, you know, Southampton v Leicester's on this weekend, but not, but not potentially a massive game. If Man City slip up against Newcastle and then we, we can't watch the Arsenal game, I just find that infuriating rant over. It's a, it's a big game in fairness, Southampton v Leicester. That, that is a big one, but I, I take your point of what you're saying. I think Man City are on TV most weeks, so you tend to, tend to catch their games, but it's, because at the start of the season, you'd have expected Arsenal not to be in the total. Right? Yeah, but, but these the games season, are only scheduled, what, four yeah, or five weeks yeah, ago? So I yeah, don't that's what I was about it. to say. It's weird, isn't it? Yeah. <clears throat> Let's look a little bit at Arsenal now. And, and George, they're really reaping the benefits, I think, of, of having oven-ready players signed in January. So Trossard and Georgina with the Premier League experience. We know Trossard in particular wasn't their number one target in the attacking positions. But, you know... Mudrick hadn't, hasn't played in the Premier League before, got off to a flying start for Chelsea, but hasn't done much since. Now, he could have rocked up at Arsenal and been completely different because of Arsenal having a cohesive setup at the moment. But Trossard in particular, he's really hit the ground running and he's made some vital contributions. Definitely. I mean, the, the, the two signings have already paid their way, especially because you know the, the finances involved weren't particularly steep. I was listening to, to uh, the commentary on the radio when um, Jorginho had the, the shot deflected off Martinez against Villa late on. Sorry, Dan. And uh, I think it was on Five Live and the commentator said, you know, Jorginho's already re- repaid that £12 million price tag. And normally that's a bit of a cliche, but in that case, you're like, yeah, fair enough, he probably has. And in that situation, as big that that goal was. And then Trossard, as you say, has come in and done really well, put uh, put on the assist um, for Odegaard on, uh, on Wednesday night. And... I mean, the key difference is you mentioned Mudrick there. I mean, it is much easier for for Jorginho and Trossard to come into this well-oiled machine, and it's basically just plug in and play. You know, you just you just go in there, and and you're, you this team knows how they're going to play. All the players are very aware of their roles. A team brimming with confidence, unlike Chelsea, where. Madrid comes in basically in a jigsaw box, and all the pieces are scattered apart, and they've got to try and put themselves together. Like it's. I'm sure that if Trossard and, and Mudrick had, had swapped roles, it would be Mudrick who'd be tearing it up for Arsenal as well, because that is what a, a good team does. It's what we've seen from from Liverpool in their best teams under Jurgen Klopp is, is players can just come in, like Luis Diaz last season comes in, and as soon as he comes into the side, looks like he's been part of the team for, for seasons. Uh, so credit to Mikel Arteta for doing that, and um, credit for the club for you know basically ditching their recruitment model, which has generally been going after younger players in order to bring in two very savvy signings that will hopefully, in their case, and, and seemingly at this time, help them get over the line. Timmy, you're kind of part of the top four race this season covering Tottenham. We're going to look a little bit at Manchester City's opponents now, Newcastle. The back-to-league focus now. I do think the league was was a distraction for them. You know, it's fair enough. You, you can understand it's, it's been so long since since they won a trophy and it really did galvanise the, the whole city. But they haven't won since beating Southampton in the League Cup semi-final. So that, that feels a while ago now. They've drawn two and lost two since then. But they are only four points off Tottenham with two games in hand. So if Newcastle can kind of get back to winning ways, they're still well in this top four race. 
Yeah, true. Although it wasn't so long ago there was fanciful talk of them being in the title race, and now they're uh, nineteen points off Arsenal, which just kind of shows you, you know, how how quickly they've 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 fallen. And unless they address that form, that's that's just going to continue. You know, it, it's goals, then it's goals. Uh, you know, Almiron was on this hot streak. Uh, before Christmas, and you know, I think we knew that that was that was not going to last all season. But you need others to step up, and Isaac's had his injury issues. Wilson's not scored or scored like one goal in in sort of three or four months now. So that's the issue. I mean, this is it now that they're out the cup competitions. What is it? Fourteen games left. Champions League is there for them. I don't buy all that nonsense. Oh, oh you know, okay, well, if we don't win the Carabao Cup, we'll be back next year, and. If we don't finish fourth, we could finish here next year. You know, you, you don't get opportunities like this very often, despite the amount of money that they might be able to spend this summer. You know, Chelsea and Liverpool, for example, are still at a far higher level on, on almost everything um, than Newcastle. So you'd expect them to be better next year. So my point is, it's a fantastic opportunity for them. However, um, I do think they'll really find it difficult to sort of go again um, because this just feels like a, not irreversible slump, but y- you're kind of wondering how, how, how they're going to turn it around and which of the players other than... Bruno Gimaraes, who can really um, spark uh, the level of form that Newcastle haven't found for for some time now. Um, one thing in their favour is that all, all their big games are at home that are coming up. So Man United, Spurs, Arsenal and Brighton, they all face at home. You know, Spurs have been better in the league recently, but have a lot of deficiencies. And Liverpool, you know, you sort of don't know what you're going to get. So like I said, it does sort of feel there for Newcastle, but I just, I don't see it happening. Um, I think there's there's too many issues there in their attack to turn around. They waste January a little bit, Steve. I know they brought in Anthony Gordon, but he's made no real discernible impact yet. They've, we mentioned the goals that they have dried up since Almiron's streaks ended. So when they're in that position of strength in January, was it, was it a missed opportunity for them a little bit? Well, I mean, hindsight's a wonderful thing, yeah, Dan, isn't it? You know, we don't know what's going on behind uh, the, uh, the scenes there with uh, Dan Ashworth and Co. So clearly as an Albion fan, I'd never, I'd never be critical of, uh, of, uh, of him. I mean, looking from an odds point of view, I, I, I take your point on board, but it's been a, they had a slow start to the season, then they had a, they had a great run. And now, I suppose, it looks like uh, the wheels are coming off a little bit, but let's not write them off just yet. They were 16-1 to 1 to finish in the top four after drawing against Bournemouth earlier in the season. And as and as Tim rightly pointed out, they're only 25-1 to 1 for the title on Boxing Day when they beat Leicester. They were 3-0 up after 30 minutes. Almiron scored his like eighth goal in nine games from ten shots on target. It was absolutely ridiculous. The, the hot streak was clearly never going to happen uh, or, or continue. Tim's mentioned Callum Wilson and, and, and Isaac. They've they've only started nineteen games between them, and they've scored ten Premier League goals. So there are circumstances as as to why this drop off is is currently happening. They've got a, a woeful record against uh, against Manchester City as well. Um, I wouldn't totally write them off from this game. Edison, I don't think he's having anywhere near a decent season for Manchester City. His goals prevented, he's minus four and a half, which is uh, quite, quite high for him. Only only four goalkeepers are worse in the Premier League than Edison or have been this season. So I can see possibly Newcastle getting something from this game, much to the joy of Arsenal. There you go. I actually agree with you, Steve. I think the way Joel, Lin- I think Joel Linton's the key player in this game. If he presses high wherever he is on the pitch, you've seen Man City be susceptible to that kind of thing through the season and giving the ball away, playing out from the back. So I think the first goal in this game is vital because whoever gets ahead, Newcastle have shown if they can go one up, they can defend. But if Man City go ahead, you worry for Newcastle in front of goal at the moment. So I think the first goal in, in that game is important. Of course, this was one of the games of the season in the reverse fixture. Three all, wasn't like it? it? Yeah. It feels like it was about yeah. 10 mm. years ago. 
a, lot, a lot's happened since then. We've had a World Cup since yeah, then, but yeah. you know that, that, that was such a good game at the start of the season. But it does feel so so long ago. Next, we're going to look ahead to events at Stamford Bridge with Graham Potter desperate for a win over an arch enemy, Leeds United. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. You're listening to the Weekend Preview here on the Athletic Football Podcast. Chelsea v Leeds now, Tim's favourite slot, Saturday at 3pm. Graham Potter is clinging on. Georgie's still as confident he'll be there at the start of next season. They're winless in six, losing the last three in a row to Spurs, Southampton and Dortmund. Yeah, I guess there are two ways of looking at this, where either you say that every time Chelsea lose a game and he isn't sacked, it just solidifies the point of view that they are going to give him this season as a freebie and then let him have a summer. Um, but similarly... You know, Todd Bowley is their new owner and with every game that goes by where things get worse for Chelsea, the more difficult it's going to be for him to win over Chelsea fans. And it doesn't help as well that even though a lot of Chelsea fans don't like the culture that, you know, the higher and fire culture of the club over the last decade or so, it does mean that they aren't used to standards being set this low. And that is a difficulty. Playing badly and losing, and in the games where they play okay, they are also losing. I think he'll probably, rather than this Leeds game with a massive Champions League tie coming up in midweek, I'd be really, even if they lose to Leeds here, I'd be surprised if he's shown the door before the midweek game. I think if they lose to Leeds and then they're knocked out by Dortmund, I think that's probably time up. Um, and it's it's interesting to note that, you know, not necessarily always the most reputable sources. I haven't seen anything in the Athletic, but there are now rumours of certain managers being earmark for the job, whether it's Zidane or Pochettino and even De Zerbi, I saw. Um, if they oh, went for De Zerbi, that's just, they can't do that, surely. They just can't. <laughs> it, it it feels to me like the, those making decisions at Chelsea will want to be able to keep with Potter if they can but there's always going to be a breaking point and that, that's got to be coming up quite soon Yeah Tim the, the Chelsea fans are not happy at, at all you know if, fair enough you know the record ha- hasn't been good enough they've only scored four goals as well this calendar year only one in the last five which was João Felix's goal against West Ham in a, in a 1-1 draw the question here is what fixes are available for, for Graham Potter I guess there's almost too many fixes. It'd be hard to choose what, what, what the fix would be. It's a horrible situation for him to be in. This can't, this can't have been the job that he signed up for at the start of the season. He, if he'd have known what this is going to be like, I'm not sure he would have taken it. No, probably not. Yeah, too many is right. I was at, I was at Spurs-Chelsea last week and Chelsea were bringing players off the bench that I'd completely forgotten uh, played for the club, to be honest. It's just... Yeah, because even August signings are out of date now. <laughs> it's they crazy. Don't, they don't fit in with, what, with their transfer policy signings they made under this regime. In August, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it is crazy. 
I didn't feel like I was watching a team playing for its manager, to be honest. There was lots of very nice build-up play, you know, as, uh, you know, you, you, I've seen bits and bobs of Chelsea over the, over the past few weeks. And then what I saw in person was exactly how it had been described to me, you know. Okay, they're pretty solid defensively and they've got a decent base there, but they're always vulnerable to conceding a goal. And then going forward, it, it's, you know, the, some of the passing is fantastic. It's so precise that they're all technically gifted. It's lovely to watch. And then there's just absolutely nothing at the end of it. So yeah, it's admirable that, that that they're sticking to their guns um, and and giving him time. I, I don't think you could say he hasn't had enough time to turn this short term problem around. But the the fact that they're the lowest goal scorers in the Premier League since the start of November, I just think it blows my mind. To be honest, I think that's one of the, the the stats of the season. And in terms of you mentioned the fans, I mean, you know, they, they weren't. They didn't sound angry at Spurs last week. There, there was just a lot of apathy and despondency, and a lot of them had left by full time. Which was which is which is crazy, really. You know, especially given Chelsea's record against Spurs in recent years. And as George rightly says, you know, if they if they lose to Spurs and Leeds, that they're two most sort of hated clubs from the fan base's point of view, then they will. T- I'm sure they'll turn this weekend. I think it'd be inevitable if they lost at home to Leeds. Um, just wish I could watch it on telly, Dan, but it's not on. So, <laughs> but in terms of the the goal scoring stuff, um, and I know this has followed Potter around um, now over two jobs, but it does seem harsh to sack a manager when a team is in the midst of a run of, of one goal in, in 85 shots doesn't it because I don't think anyone can point the finger at Potter and say you know that is on you and you know is he not I mean there are two ways of looking at it do you want the new manager to come in and experience that bounce that is going to be the variance that goes the other way or is it only fair to allow Potter to to experience that himself because I mean obviously the performances aren't great and they're conceding goals and they you know they're not scoring but there's no denying they are in the midst of a ridiculous spell of wastefulness in front of goal, which just will not continue. I know they don't have a an out and out striker uh, currently playing, but you know the players of of the likes of Joao Felix and Kai Havertz, and you know, these are players who who will put the ball in the back of the net. Um, it's just a matter of time, and and it wouldn't surprise me at all if in a game like Saturday against Leeds if suddenly they go and put four past them and suddenly they all hit the back of the net. Like, that's just what happens. You know, it happened with West Ham last weekend. Um, it will turn. And they're only 20-1 to, to win the Champions League, um, you know, so they are they are 6-5 six, yeah, six to five to, to get through um, against an informed Dortmund, but it's, it's nothing new for Chelsea. They won it in 2012, didn't they? Won the FA Cup as well and finished sixth in, in, the, in, the, in the Premier League. I think um, Di Matteo... He, he took them to the Champions League final, didn't he? I know he was sacked by November and that was an old Chelsea, Chelsea regime. But so, uh, like we've all said, some big games coming up and f- five of the next six are at home at the bridge as well. Like, and like we've been saying, it could uh, it could turn toxic if it goes the other way. Tim, we've spoke about recency bias on, on this podcast. This time last year, Brighton fans were really unhappy with Graham Potter and some of the things that have been levelled at this Chelsea side sorry, uh, being leveled at, were being levelled at the Brighton side this time last year. I think they went on a six-game winless run. They may have even lost six games in, in a row, but it was definitely six games without a win. Brighton got off to a flyer at the start of the season. Like They were scoring goals for fun. It looked, it looked like they were they were on the right track under and, and Potter finally, and he got hired off the back of that. But the, people forget that this time last year, he, he, you know, some of these things that have been levelled in terms of XG and all that were, were being levelled at him at Brighton. So it's almost as if, if, do you think if he hadn't had that great start for Brighton at the start of this season, he'd have been getting the Chelsea job? We don't forget, Dan. We don't forget the uh, the XG statistical anomalies or be or being booed. You remember that? You remember Boogate at Brighton exactly. when you know yeah. he, he had uh, a set two with the fans, thinking that they should be um, cheering the team on more. So yeah, it's no, it's nothing new. Oh, 
has Todd Bowley hired someone on the back of two victories at the start of the season? I mean, you know, <laughs> um, it's it's impossible to say. But yeah, if if Brighton had lost their first two games of the season, then he probably wouldn't have hired him. So yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, we're going to Leeds obviously in the relegation mix at the moment, Steve. We're going to come on to some of the other relegation six pointers at the weekend. They won last week. Great first win for Xavi Grazia against Southampton. Critical that they won that game, Leeds, because that they were on a, on a poor run of, of wins. Junior Furpa keeping up that trend at the moment of really out, really unliked fullbacks turn, turning it on in front of goal. Emerson Royal at Tottenham. I'm, I'm looking at you. Where are Leeds now in the relegation odds? Their fourth favourites stand at two to one, and I originally thought Leeds would go down. I I, I think there's a, a chance of them staying up now. Obviously, quite clearly at the odds of, of of two to one, but the way that they restricted both Southampton and Fulham to very little in front of goal, um, I, Fulham in the cup scored two worldy goals. Their xG was point two two to Leeds's one point six. Yet Fulham still won the game. Um, I think it's the same old story for them in front of goal in this very short sample. Of, uh, of the two games that he's had, missing chances, but it looks less chaotic to me. He slowed it down a bit. The, the tempo's not as quick. They're staying in shape a little bit more. I think Leeds have got a hell of a chance of staying in, in the division now. Uh, the midfield, there's more structure, it seems, in the midfield. Adams, McKenna, Rocker as well. And it's a great time to play Chelsea. It's going to be about their home games for, for, for Leeds United staying in this division. Brighton, Forest and Palace, those three games, I think you'd earmark, particularly the Forest and Palace games. Southampton are one to three favourites currently, Dan, with with Bournemouth at four to eleven. Everton are back into evens with Leeds and Forest at two to one. There's a certain Wolverhampton Wanderers at uh, hundred to thirty. Their odds have shortened since a former Wolves journalist really shaped them up. I'm not sure Steve Maley would have done that. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, you spend all week thinking this stuff up. Nobody's nobody's impressed. You got written down in front of him. He's definitely got that. He's got his own script today. Anti-Villa and anti-Wolves agenda. Definitely got that in front of him. Let's segue into the relegation six pointers. Then Southampton v Leicester is that Saturday tea time kickoff and is on TV. Tim Spears and then Forest v Everton is on Sunday at two o'clock. And George Southampton suddenly they won that game at Stamford Bridge and now they look terrible again. Is there anything there that makes you think Southampton could stay up? Because now that, that win at Stamford Bridge already feels a long time ago. Yeah, I mean, that, that was one of those wins where, um, you know, the, the goal came from a set piece, Chelsea missed chances. Um, if you play that game 100 times, I don't think Southampton would win it that often. I am currently staying at my in-laws' house and they're, they're my, all my wife's family are Grimsby Town fans. So it was a big night on Wednesday night, settling down in front of ITV4 and watching Grimsby go to St Mary's and beat them 2-1, even though my daughter decided to wake up and start crying uh, about 10 minutes ago so I missed the last 10 minutes but watching that game I mean it was painful to see against league two opposition at home just how toothless uh, Saints were until James Ward-Prowse came on the pitch and then suddenly they had 10 corners in the game they had a couple of free kicks they scored from a corner Theo Walcott put the ball in the back of the net from a free kick that was then ruled offside by VAR but apart from Ward-Prowse there was just, I mean, and I know that they made a lot of changes as well, but you know, this is Ruben Sellers still in charge of the side. There was just a, a a ridiculous lack of cutting edge from open play, and that, in my mind, is their biggest issue. Where you know, they may have recruited well in terms of young talent, um, but I don't think they've got very many, if any, informed Premier League standard attacking players right now. You know, there are players that I like. You know, I think Mar is an interesting player. I think Joe Rebo when. When, when in form um, is a live wire, but there's no real senior pros around them uh, unless you count Theo Walcott as that, who, who doesn't get very many Premier League minutes anyway. So, you know, all these players, I, I think when you, I think Southampton will go down and I think in 
two or three years, we'll have a look at this Southampton squad that got relegated. And I think quite a few of them will be playing Premier League football or top flight football around Europe and, and be very good. You know, Lavia is another one who, who's clearly destined for great things. But right now, there is just a, a real lack of identity in the way that they play and just a lack of talent in the final third and a lack of, of, of form that's so evident when you watch them. So, you know, having said that now, we're pretty good at cursing Southampton on this podcast. Um, and, sh- and we should also mention that um, the reverse cursey. So they'll probably go and beat Leicester uh, on in the weekend. But Leicester come into this off the back of being beaten 2-1 at home by Blackburn as well. So two teams desperately short of, uh, of, of form coming into this, but a, a massive game for both. Yeah, Leicester team, almost like the Spurs of the bottom half. One way, one way they're brilliant. The next way they're absolutely gutless and and terrible. I, I still worry for them. I still think they're they're right in the mix and in big trouble. I do because Madison seems to miss more and more games nowadays. And if he's not there, they don't win. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you say Spurs, and I watched Leicester demolish Spurs four one very recently. It should have been six or seven that day. I, I find it incredible that they're still in a relegation battle based on that performance. It has kind of felt like them and, and West Ham. Maybe it's because they're bigger clubs with with talented squads but it's felt like they've sort of you know sleepwalking towards relegation at times um you mentioned Madison I mean apparently he's back this weekend he's the trump card really he'd obviously get into any team um that's fighting relegation he's um arguably the most talented player um of any of those uh, in any of those teams and if he's fit and if he's firing then they'll stay up but if not yeah they do have they do have a problem you know Harvey Barnes Dewsbury Hall they're they're good players but I don't think they're going to keep Leicester up on their own like Madison could yeah they've conceded uh, the first goal in eight of their last games which sort of tells a story they're giving themselves too much to do and I remember us talking at the start of the season about how Leicester would maybe struggle without some of the leaders they've lost I mean Kasper Schmeichel left in the summer, Johnny Evans, you know, on the periphery now with his injuries, Jamie Vardy on the periphery. You know, you look at that squad and you wonder who's who's leading them, who are the big characters, you know, in the mould of Wes Morgan that that are going to drag them to safety if, if they really get into trouble. But I think they'll be okay. I, th- I think they've got enough quality, but um, but they're not making it easy for themselves. Tillerman's out for six weeks as, as well now. That, that That's a blow. I don't think he's been on, the, on his top, top level form and he'll probably be one that moves on, on a free in the summer. On to Forest then, Steve. 19 of their 25 points have come at the city ground and they're four points above the bottom three. I'm pretty sure if they'd have been offered this at the start of the season where they are now, I'm pretty sure they would have taken it. And if they can harness that home form and, and beat Everton, that'll give them some nice distance. Yeah, totally agree with you there, Dan. They've lost three home games by mid-September against some average teams, really. You know, those those back-to-back games against Bournemouth and Fulham, losing 3-2, uh, in both of those. And they were one to three to be relegated before the Liverpool game. And you know what? Since that day, in, they've won four and drawn three of their last seven home games. The the atmosphere, as we talk about there, the City ground is absolutely bouncing. And, you know, it reminds me a little bit when, when Stoke City came into the Premier League, the Bet365 was absolutely rocking. The fans were really behind them and they'd kind of been written off. Yet Stoke went on to win 10 home games during that season and stayed up quite comfortably. I can see them, I can see Forrest staying up this season. They've drawn with City, they've beaten Liverpool. I know they have got Arsenal and Manchester United to play at the City ground as well, but they also have Wolves and Southampton. I think Forrest will be okay and that will be a very good season for Steve Cooper and co, considering where they were at the beginning and people were talking about Steve Cooper's well, considering the amount of players they bought in, in the summer as well. I mean, Grand Potter's getting defended for having to deal with all the January signs. You know, look at what Steve Cooper had to deal with in the summer. Absolutely excellent from them. I, I think they'll stay up as well. I, I'm with you. It's looking bleak for Everton though, Tim. Nine defeats in the last 13 Premier League games following that horrendous loss at Arsenal on Wednesday. They've only scored two in the last six as well. 
there just there's no goals in that side, is there? Well, you know, you talk about Forest signing players. I mean, the, the fact that Everton didn't bring anyone in in January is just massively hindering them at, at this moment in time. And you know, we talk about keeping James Madison fit. Calvert Lewin's the one just as important for Everton, uh, not just in terms of goals, but in terms of his hold up play, his link up play. But you know, they're ever going to get him fit again. It seems like um, this is going to really. It's, it's, feels sort of career threatening to him really the fact that he's yeah. taken so long you know and he's had such a short amount of time when he's been fit for a sort of prolonged period so yeah um that feel good factor from the from the Arsenal win where we, we all sort of thought okay Everton will be fine now you know that's 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 vanished pretty quickly surprisingly quickly um I know they've had a couple of difficult fixtures but um I think they've won two of 29 away from home uh, seven away points this season. So, uh, as with Forest, as with Leeds, they're massively relying on on their home form, the atmosphere of, of their passionate fans to sort of drag them over the line, really. Because you know, the more we see of Dyche's Everton, the more it looks less likely that they're going to sort of steam clear of the bottom three. I watched them last week against Villa, and I didn't think Villa, Villa were great for the for the first hour, but still won the game relatively comfortably there just isn't the goals in that Everton side Mo, Mo just doesn't doesn't really fit with Everton he doesn't look like he knows where the back of the net is yeah Calvert-Lewin get, gets better with every game he doesn't play doesn't he yeah the um, the even money about Everton to get relegated seems a fair price to me uh, they seem more likely to get relegated than not in my book um, and when you look it does feel like their home form is going to be so important under Sean Dyche that was always the case with, with Dyche's Burnley side at Turf Moor uh, and their six points they've picked up under him so far have both been 1-0 home wins but then you look at the teams they've got left to play at Goodison it's basically all teams who could finish in the top half until you get to the final day of the season against Bournemouth they've got Brentford, Spurs, Fulham, Newcastle, Man City at their next home games I mean it's hard to see them getting much joy out of those so um yeah, I mean, I, I think ever having thought that Sean Dyche would come in and save them, and I don't think it would be at any fault of his. Um, from where I'm sitting now, that I'm surprised they're not odds on to to get relegated. West Ham, one of the teams down the bottom that haven't changed manager, and they play Brighton at the Amex on Saturday at three o'clock. Someone on this podcast doubled down on something they'd said previously last week that Danny Ings would not fit in at West Ham, didn't suit David Moyes, and wouldn't score the goals to fire them to safety. Of course then, George. He scored two goals last week. <laughs> Can you predict that Oxford are going to get relegated? Is that okay? Just just now and then that should save us. Um, you know what it is? I, I struggle with anything that involves Southampton. So Danny Ings used to play for Southampton. If there's any kind of Southampton link at all, oh, anything I say, the, the, the opposite happens. Yeah. I can't. Christ. I can't do it. I still maintain that Danny Ings oh, long-term good. will not fit in at West Ham. But he, he then goes and scores two goals. Ings can only get better. Steve, you, you're better than that, Steve. <laughs> but, you know, they got a bit of luck, didn't they, West Ham? Some of his goals were a little bit scrappy, but then Declan Rice's goal was lovely. And West Ham show what, what they're capable of. Are they, are they going to get out of it? Yeah, I mean, it, it looks like it. I was at the, uh, I assume Tim was there as well. I was at the, um, the Spurs game uh, a couple of weekends ago and I couldn't believe how toothless West Ham were in that game. Like, had a bit of possession as most teams do against Spurs they had some like periods of territory Declan Rice sitting in front of the back four but they did nothing with it at all like they rarely threatened a Spurs team who as you know Tim said Leicester tore apart the week before um so I was pretty surprised as well Dan it wasn't just you to see them um go and score four against Nottingham Forest side have been decent recently as I say I think variance plays a part here some some days you're just gonna have days where everything goes in and that was kind of the case here and they should have enough about them really to, to see themselves clear but it's not ideal that off the back of that 4-0 win 
They then had that cup trip at Tall Trafford, where they nearly came through it, to be fair, even though they lost 3-1. They won it up late into the game uh, and now have a really difficult trip to Brighton to follow that up. So, yeah, I mean, David Moyes has, has kept his job for a bit longer and you think that's probably enough for him to keep his job unless things get really dire later on in the season. Um, and I th- I do still think they should have enough. But um, one game in isolation uh, doesn't change everything. Right, trivia time. It's our favourite segment of the podcast. Probably no one who listens to its favourite <laughs> segment because it's usually absolute chaos. Sean Dyche is aiming to avoid becoming the 10th manager in Premier League history to be relegated with multiple clubs. Who are the nine that have done it already? So we'll have a, a couple of goes each, I guess. Steve, I'll come to you first for your two. This is hard. I'll give us the first one for free because I just caught a glimpse of it. Dave Bassett. Oh, I was just going to say Dave Bassett. No, you weren't. I swear. No, you weren't. I swear. I was going to say Dave Bassett. Absolutely not. This is tough. This is tough. Okay, so now we've got got two each to guess. So, Steve, I'll come to you first. Don't get asking me. Oh, you've got Uh, Dave Bassett. I think I've got one, so can I go first, please? Go on, Tim, you go first. Brucey. Got to be Brucey. Well done, Tim. Steve Bruce is correct. George, have you got anything? Um, Warnock? Yes. I've got one. Is, is Brian Robson one? Wow. Well, that's three three so far. So we've got four overall of the night. Steve, we need something from you. Allardyce has, has only no, been once, done once, hasn't yeah. he? I think. Yeah. Not Allardyce. Oh, this is tough. This is really tough. Um, what about Redknapp? Redknapp might have been. Harry Redknapp, you reckon, Tim? With Southampton and maybe maybe QPR. Well done, well done, Tim. Is that five we've got now of the of the nine? Mm. Um, um, what about what about Mick McCarthy, uh, Sunderland, Sunderland and Wolves? Not quite with Wolves, Did, but maybe with someone else. No, no, Mick McCarthy. This is a really, really good question. It's a great question, Paul Jewell. I don't think I think he was gone from Wigan by the time they got they got relegated. I think no, no, Paul Jewell. Right, the producer's telling me we've got one more guess each. Paul Lambert, Chris Hutton, any one of them too? No, I don't reckon either of them. Because all these guys jump shit before they um, get relegated. Exactly. That's, it's so hard because managers do tend to get sacked before, yeah. before the club. That's goes why down. the whole thing, like, I've never been relegated before. Yeah, because he gets sacked in December. Alan Parger. I can't think of anyone else. Alan Parger. I keep thinking Marcus. Oh, yeah, that's a good shout. No. Oh, no, because Darren Moore got. See, Darren Moore got West Brom relegated. This is a Mark joke. Hughes. Right, we're out. We're out. We're out of luck. The, oh, to be fair, we do. No, it's not my kids. I'll read the, the full list. I'm really, really upset that we didn't get one of them because we actually mentioned his name and then talked, ourselves, oh, talked no. ourselves out of it at the start. So the full list is Dave Bassett, which was Sheffield United, Forest and Leicester. So three for him. Steve Coppel, Palace and Reading. Joe Royal, Oldham and Manchester City. Brian Robson, which we got, Borough and West Brom. Ian Dowie, Palace and Hull. Harry Redknapp, Southampton and QPR. This is the one we should have got. Steve Bruce, Birmingham and Hull. I said Bruce. Bruce. Oh, did we get Bruce? That's the first one we got. Oh, sorry, yeah. I apologise, Tim. Tim did get yeah. that one. Tim Avram Grant, <laughs> Portsmouth and West Ham. And then Neil Warnock, which we did get QPR and Cardiff. See, that, that is, a, that is Poor an unbelievable Avram question. basically just gets done with the relegations as the interim. You know, the guy who comes in to pick up everyone else's, you know. Comes in. Yeah, nice guy. I, mean, I, think he was, yeah. I think he was at West Ham that whole season, <laughs> yeah, in, fair, fair. in fairness, yeah. when, uh, when, when, when I went down. I think he was there the, there the whole time. But Portsmouth, I think, I think you've got a point. So, yeah, great question from the producer. Let's, let's have more of that. But great for us, but probably a terrible podcast. <laughs> Next, it's all eyes on Anfield as Manchester United head to Liverpool.
Right then, before we continue with the podcast, please remember that if you are going to have a bet this weekend, make sure that you do so responsibly. George, you've got some helpful tips on how to make sure that we do just that. Yeah, it's important to us that the listeners of this podcast are in control of their gambling. This is a podcast for those who are 18 years of age and older. Please ensure that you are only staking what you can afford to lose and do visit BeGambleAware.org for any information to ensure that you're gambling responsibly. This is the weekend preview here on the Athletic Football Podcast. It's time now to look at the big one on Sunday at 4.30. It's Liverpool against Manchester United. Manchester United back to league action after winning the Carabao Cup, Steve. A quadruple. We're always talking about quadruple around this time of the year on this show. Manchester United looking for a quadruple of sorts. What are oh, the odds on it? Oh, I hope not. Surely no one backed that at the start of the season. 46 bets at 10,000 really? to 1 we've got. We've got a few hundred bets on 5,000 and 4,500 to 1. So uh, quite a few million quid. Listen, it's still 80 to 1 and the clearly the league is going to be a, a tough ass for them because they're 14 to 1 to win the league and they're, and they're chasing it. But the three cup competitions they've got were in the bag already and the Europa League they're handily placed as well as the, uh, as well as the FA Cup. Can you remember the last time Manchester United were drawn away from home in a domestic cup competition? No. I think they've been drawn at home the last 10 times, which is quite incredible, really. And they've got a, a, a decent draw against against Betis as well. They were 750 to 1 for the treble back in November. They're now single figures to win the treble at 8 to 1. I think, clearly, as the odds state, it's well within their compass of, uh, of landing all three. And, of course, they've got one in the bag after last week's performance as well. Uh, a few tougher games to come. I am very... I am, I've got everything crossed that they don't win the quadruple. But I think the I think the treble, Dan, is, uh, could be a chance. Yeah, and Tim, you might remember this, that Ralph Ranick said after Manchester United's last visit to Anfield that they were six years behind Liverpool. Do you think, do you think that's still right? That just shows you how quickly it's turned around, really. And, again, just shows the value of, of smart recruitment, you know, aligned with a head coach who, who knows what he's doing and has got, you know... A vision. I see the exact opposite of Spurs. You know, like Man United, they've got the base and the foundation to do something, but they're, they're, they're the complete opposite. They've got a long-term recruitment strategy with a manager who, who favours a short-term approach. But at Man United, you know, the, the stars have aligned and it, it, it is remarkable how quickly it's all come together. They look relatively comfortable in winning a domestic trophy last week, which is, you know, not something we've been able to say for a few years. And yeah, I think with the draws they've got, as Steve says, in the next two rounds of Europa League and FA Cup, but you know what? Why not one more at least, really? Which, which is, is, is crazy. You know, we've got, we've got to go back and listen at some point to the first couple of podcasts of this season when we, no, we were questioning you. whether they were going to finish in the top half of the table. I don't even want to um, listen back to last week's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's um, it's one of the most impressive jobs we've seen in the Premier League for 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 a very long time. Actually, how quickly he's turned it around. Yeah, and it's George. It's the Casemiro, Fred, and Bruno Fernandez midfield dynamic up against a Liverpool squad whose midfield has been in disarray this season. Suddenly, that that feels a bit of a, a mismatch, doesn't it? I uh, love the whole Fred narrative arc I must say the amount of disrespect he's been shown over the last five or six years a guy who played at a very high level before coming to United who's a Brazil international and was spoken about as if he was some kind of competition winner playing for two pretty dysfunctional sides um, 
when Christian Eriksen got his injury, I think it was fair to be pretty concerned about United's midfield, given how important he'd been alongside Casemiro. Um, but Fred has stepped up and looks just a brilliant player, dynamic off the ball, really tidy on the ball, scoring goals, and looks like he's just enjoying himself. He is one of the five, six, seven United players who are just taken to a completely new level under Eric Tenag, which is the best measure of his success along, alongside the results themselves. And you're right, because I mean, it's it's mad to say it, but the combination of you know, Casemiro's all-action performances, his calmness on the ball, his savviness, you know, when when defending in his own in his own final third, compared with the busyness of Fred, and then the guile of, of Bruno Fernandez is just so different to what we're seeing from from Liverpool at the moment, where there's just no balance at all in their midfield, despite the personnel. You know, obviously, um, Bayatich is is the one who's come in recently, but in terms of, of Henderson and, and Fabinho, it's just whether it's age or form, um, they look a complete shadow of, of the players that they were fairly recently. So yeah, it doesn't look like a mismatch right now. Um, but having said that, it wouldn't be a massive surprise if, you know, as is always the way when, when you're making big sweeping statements about the, the quality of certain players, we could be looking early next season, these two sides playing again, and it's Liverpool's midfield three who look in form again. It's not um, an open and closed book. But yeah, credit to Fred because... Um, He's had to deal with a lot of criticism in his time and he's now showing us finally the player that he is. Steve, on Liverpool, I said this on a show show that I did for someone else yesterday. So it feels like there was always this fascination that Liverpool's front three was all approaching 30 at the same time and it needed freshening up. And in fairness, Liverpool have done something about that and they've tried to refresh that in the the transfer market. Liverpool have been so good over the years in the transfer market as well. It's almost like they were so focused on that front three, they forgot that the midfield, kind of on the same age trajectory. So... The midfield has had no freshening up, whereas there's been a few different attackers who've joined over the last few years. You think you think of Jota, Diaz playing on playing on the left, and then Gappo and and um, Darwin this season. A central midfielder hasn't arrived for some time. I'm discounting Arthur Mello in that because he's done absolutely nothing since he arrived at the club. But do, do you know what I mean? They they've freshened up the front three a fair a fair amount, but that midfield three hasn't changed. Yeah, it's it, it, it's a fair point, Dan and. They'll get well tested this weekend as well. Manchester United haven't been favourites for a game at Anfield in over 10 years. And the way the market's going at the moment, that probably won't change. I think Liverpool will just about go off favourites in this. But maybe there's a likeness to a couple of seasons ago from Liverpool and their top four hopes when they looked like they were going to miss out. And then they went on a great run towards the end of the season, actually finished in third at the end. They beat, I think they won at Old Trafford and then Alisson scored from a header at the Albion, of course, to... To seal their top, yeah, their top four chances. They're only two to one to finish in the top four, and of course we know about inconsistent Spurs and, and Newcastle and can can Brighton last. So the worry for me is can they be trusted to put a run together again? I'll, I'll mention the recency bias. Oh, Liverpool, they're back defensively. They're keeping clean sheets. I'm not so sure. Their record will be horrific on the road without Allison, who's the best keeper statistically in the Premier League this season. I know they've missed chances up front. Uh, Darwin, Salah, Jota's coming back, which is great to see. He's been guilty of that. He hasn't scored for God knows how long, uh, Jota, for Liverpool. Uh, Gakpo has also missed a load of chances as well. So, um, And we've also got the the Champions League to think about as well. They're 20-1 to 1 to turn that around. I mean, that will be some turnaround to do that. I know they've, they've won games at massive prices before when going 3-0 down to Barcelona at... Uh, at, the, at the Camp Nou, but this is a way at, uh, at Real Madrid. It's a little bit different. So the season could be could be petering out but I think the last couple of performances maybe again Liverpool fans a little bit of hope and uh, maybe they could finish in that top four spot yeah not turning that round without Divock Origi let me tell you it won't happen without oh, yeah. Divock no chance who else, who else scored that night <laughs> they both got two goals Alden. each 
What's yes. that by now? We're no, not doing another trivia. No, it's all about the trivia. All about the trivia <laughs> on this podcast. The Liverpool have taken 10 points from their last 12 on offer in the Premier League without conceding in those four games. So it does feel like this time maybe there is the revolver that's, that's sustainable for Liverpool because they did need to stop shipping goals. Manchester United are winless in the last seven visits to Anfield, losing four and drawing three. They've only scored one goal in that time and that was in December 2018 when Manchester United lost 3-1 to Liverpool in Mourinho's last game can anyone is anyone would anyone here predict Manchester United to go and beat Liverpool at Anfield this time round yeah I think so oh, Steve confident yeah I mean they're as I said they are they are outsiders and, and Liverpool fans particularly and the players of course will be you know the 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 season's pro in it in those Liverpool in that Liverpool dressing room will certainly be up for this and they would absolutely love just putting that that final nail you would have thought into Manchester United small chances of of, of winning the title this is certainly a game not to be missed, and it's one that uh, yeah I'm massively looking forward to. But I can see the way Manchester United are going at the moment. I know they've probably had some nice fixtures after the World Cup, Dan, but uh, I can see them nicking this one nil. I think I think draw, and I don't think either team will be massively disappointed with that. I think a draw is not a terrible result for either side. So those are our featured games to look out for this weekend with the full Premier League fixture list looking a little something like this. Newcastle head to Man City to kick things off on Saturday lunchtime, followed by five three o'clock kickoffs. Arsenal Bournemouth, Aston Villa Palace, Brighton v West Ham, Chelsea Leeds and the Tim Spears derby, it's Wolves v Tottenham. The tea time game sees Leicester head to Southampton. Sunday sees Everton visit Forest at 2 o'clock before Liverpool v Manchester United at 4.30 with Monday night football returning this week as Brentford play Fulham. Tim, I'd flown under my radar actually until I just read it that the Tim Spears derby this weekend. A mm, it was called El Spearsico on a podcast yesterday. Well, well, it's a difficult so. one for you to cover that. I'm, I'm a I'm a pretty professional journalist, Dad. I don't, don't don't see why you think there's any issue there. I, I, I wouldn't dispute it, but I, I always find <laughs> I always find that difficult in, in in your situation. I'd be professional. Actually, I'm not as professional as you, but that, that, yeah, it's an inter- it's an interesting one. I'm going to be intrigued how that game goes. Keep a special eye on on that one now, although I won't be able to watch it because it's Saturday, three o'clock. Let's finish as ever with the six scores challenge, then, Steve. Once again, cards on the table. I didn't do it for us last week. So if ever we do win, we're not going to get any money. Aim to be better this week. Aim to be better. This week is the one, Dan. So yeah, the six scores challenge, as we know, the free-to-play game with cash consolation prizes for three, four and five. Correct. I'm going to start with you, George, with Arsenal Bournemouth. Um, 3-0. And Chelsea Leeds? Go on, Graham. 2-0 Chelsea. Timothy, I'm coming to you. I said that the Liverpool game was the biggest game of the weekend. Now that Dan mentioned it, I just can't get it out of my mind. Wolves versus Spurs. <laughs> um, it's got to be one all, isn't oh, it? Oh, I knew he was going to do that. What? Hang on, I'm an expert on both clubs. I genuinely think that's going to be a result. Oh, I am an expert. Did you just say you were an expert? Oh, I, both did clubs? I hear expert then? Did I hear expert then? Oh dear, get your agent on the phone. Uh, Southampton versus Leicester. Uh, 2-1 to Leicester. Dan, Forrest, Everton? 2-0 Forrest. And Liverpool, Manchester United? 2-2. Okay, thanks guys. Well, that's it. Thank you very much, Steve. And that is it from us here at the Weekend Preview. Trappers is going to be back on Monday here on the Athletic Football Podcast. Until then, enjoy your weekend, enjoy all the football and thanks for listening. The Athletic.